0: you know, in this Christian subculture we live, sometimes we feel like we need to have some big, noble reason to explain everything we do. And I was really fearful of being found out that the primary reason we traveled is because we wanted to, and that was our big reason. There wasn't some altruistic, and we're gonna go and do X, Y, and Z. And the main reason we wanted to go was to see the world together as a family. That was the reason. And so that was a weird fear that crept up in me, like, oh my goodness, I am scared. I feel fearful to share this like fun thing we did on Facebook because what will people think? And that was something I had to get over and it was, it was a good thing to get over but I was surprised I had that.
1: Tish Oxenrider and her husband Kyle and their three kids decided that they were going to spend nine months circumnavigating the earth to see firsthand the places they'd always wanted to explore. They went to China and Singapore, Australia, Uganda, France, Croatia and more and in her beautiful new book at home in the world reflections on belonging while wandering the globe tish talks all about what they learned what they experienced and how it changed them i love this conversation with tish and i think you're gonna love it too enjoy well hey everybody i'm here with tish oxenreiter hi tish how are you my friend
0: i'm doing great thanks
1: and you are, uh, you are in near Austin, Texas. That's right. The, yep, just right the, outside the great state of. I was just in Austin, me um, in February. I was preaching at a church oh. there, and I've never, I'd never been to Austin, but I kind of fell in love with it. I love, I mean, I love the food. I love the culture. It, it is a fun place. But I went in February. I didn't go in the summertime because I've heard it's different. I was in the just summertime. about to
0: say. I was just about to say you went at the right time because <laughs> February in Austin is probably your like June, I'm guessing. Yeah. So it's it's a good time to be there. And right now it's already in the mid nineties and it's just going to keep going up until like October. So yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my dear Lord. Oh yeah. my.
0: Yeah. Long summer.
1: Well, let's get into it. Um, my first question for you, Tish in this gorgeous, well, your latest book at home in the world, I loved, um, but it's not the first kind of travel book that you've written, but, um, I want to ask you this, what what drives your imagination while you're writing about your experiences abroad?
0: What's funny you because when I started writing this book, I thought, oh, I'm going to do this while we travel. You know, we were gone for a whole school year and I thought, well, I've got a book. I need to write it. Of course, I'll just get it done while we go. And it was by week two when I realized, nope, I'm not going to travel and write at the same time, because not only was it like logistically hard with kids and all that stuff, but honestly, it was a little bit more creatively challenging because i i realized i needed some space between Experience and processing, or maybe I should say, the processing needed to um, have a long tail for me to actually kind of capture down what it was that I was actually experiencing. So I didn't write the book until we ga- came back because I needed to look at um, our experience as a whole. Like we started in China, we ended in England, and we went to 30 places in between. I needed to see kind of how everything wove together into kind of one big. tapestry instead of writing about little individual threads here and there you know so um, the creative process was a lot more of looking at that tapestry from the front end and seeing the picture that it created but then walking around to the other side and looking at all the threads and how it was woven together and and noticing the art and noticing kind of how things intersected, what got tangled up a little bit, um, what, you know, just what ended up creating the art on the other side. So I needed a lot of space, a lot more space than I thought I would.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's like you you, you have to immerse, right, while you're there, but then there's this pulling back, like sort of zooming way out to say, you know, what are the themes? What are the what are the, what, what was the arc of this trip? Right? I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, when did you first realize, cause you have kids and they're not, you know, they're not grown. I mean, they're little kids. When did you first realize that you could actually travel with your family?
0: <laughs> well, my husband Kyle and I, we met overseas and then we continued to live overseas after we had kids. So we had, um, Brought our two year old over when we moved to Turkey and lived there until she was five. And my second born was actually born in Turkey. And so by the time we left Turkey, our then five year old had already been to like 12 countries, I want to say. And our uh, middle guy had left the country when he was nine days old. So he had you know, both of them kind of have it in their DNA. So we knew from the beginning that travel with kids is not impossible. It's just different. And for us adults to go into it, knowing it's going to be a different experience. than when we get to travel on our own and to not think of it necessarily as, um, I don't want to say not enjoyable, but just a different kind of learning, enjoyable experience. And so once we, we, um, kind of, I don't know, admitted that or or acknowledge that that was reality, then it became a joy, you know, instead of trying to fight like, why can't these kids just stop asking <laughs> a million questions on the plane? And and just realizing that is part of the experience. And we we've actually come to find that kids open more doors than when we are by ourselves, especially in different cultures, and especially in cultures that are much more family oriented than the American culture that we come from.
1: Right. I mean, as you say yeah. that, it makes total sense. It's almost like, I mean, this is a terrible comparison, perhaps. But I remember when um, my wife and I got a dog in our neighborhood, right? And so we didn't really meet anyone. And then we got this dog, and this is before we had kids. And it's like everyone said, oh, my gosh, that's such a cool dog. It's like this um, this sense of of we're, we're – it's sort of somehow less threatening, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fun, so. so fun. So yeah. fun. Well, h- how has traveling – uh, changed, changed you?
0: Well, you know, I mean, in some ways I've been traveling a lot since, uh, probably post-college. So it's hard to know exactly what was the change from travel and what's the change from, you know, just growing up. But every time I spend, uh, extended time cross-culturally, I come back a little different. So I can, I can see a little bit of what's travel and what's just life. Um, I think the biggest thing, especially on this big trip, um, that really solidified for me. And this is in particular because of what I tend to do on the internet, you know, as a writer and as a person that has space online, um, is it was a reminder of how small I am and how small we all are. And I think we all need regular doses of that, especially when the internet brings us so close together Um, that it's easy to be a little myopic and a little bit echo chambery. I think Um, so, at least as a creative, it was really helpful for me to like wander night markets in Sri Lanka and go hiking in, in fields in New Zealand and walk through villages in Uganda. And nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares who I am. And there's a billion other people all living these same, mostly ordinary lives. And so we live these ordinary lives next to each other, all kind of in tandem doing our own thing in a rhythm. And we are all needed and necessary. And yet we're all really small. And that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be small. So that that's probably the biggest personal growth experience I've had on this last trip. Beautiful. Uh,
1: I love that. I love that. And I agree with that. And I think it's so, sort of paradoxical because I think we think you know, we're going to have these expansive experiences, adventures, and they're going to make us bigger. And and in some ways they do, but I love that perspective that in some ways it helps us reorient our perspective that we're Mm -hmm. really just, I mean, we're significant, but we're a small piece of the puzzle. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, so did you have to, have you had to overcome any fears as you have taken your kids and as you've, uh, and traveled really all over the world.
0: Um, you know, I have slightly more unorthodox fears. I don't. I'm not a worrier by nature. As in, like, I don't go to a country and get scared about you know the classic things one gets one gets scared about. For me, it's a little bit more of this inner fear of mattering, of being noticed. Kind of what I was saying. Yeah. It um, about being small. It addressed head on this this fear of needing to feel significant and i'm a four on the enneagram so you know (laughs) that matters to me and it was a good reminder that um of that ordinariness that most of life is lived but another kind of fear that i think um It was addressed is this is a little bit kind of off the beaten path. But, you know, in this Christian subculture we live, sometimes we feel like we need to have some big noble reason to explain everything we do. (laughs) And I was really fearful of being found out that the primary reason we traveled is because we wanted to. And that was our big reason there wasn't some altruistic and we are going to go and do X, Y, and Z. And the main reason we wanted to go was to see the world together as a family. That was the reason. And so that was a weird fear that crept up in me. Like, oh my goodness, I am, I feel fearful to share this like fun thing we did on Facebook because what will people think? And that was something I had to get over. And it was, it was a good thing to get over, but I was surprised I had that.
1: Oh, I love – I mean that, you just – you are touching on such a nerve with me because I think <laughs> uh, that is such a that, – that just squeezes that perspective that we have to have this noble, sacrificial, and even sort of painful reason that we do everything sp- like this, especially travel. Yeah, um, that just that just makes me want to throw up into my mouth a little bit <laughs>
0: <Even> <laughs> as you say
1: that. Do I do, you
0: yeah, I think travel can honestly be, I mean, this sounds a little weird, but it's almost a form of worship. You know, it's almost a form of just um, opening our eyes to the variety and creativity that God has put on earth. And so I think there's something honestly noble and good about just the act of travel yeah. on its own, you know, and and it was a good thing to be to eventually become confident in that. But at first it was hard
1: oh i love that um so that actually brings me to a question that i have written down do you have a theology of travel And it sounds like you sort of were getting into that with that last answer
0: well yeah in a way you know to travel as worship you know when you think of people that i don't know write poetry or sing songs or whatever there's there's something to be said about um a history among the christian community of travelers who um Do it as a form of worship you know as a pilgrimage people who uh, who walk one step in front of the other as a way of um hearing god and celebrating who god is and i think there is something to that and there's something to that as a family you know um of being willing to immerse yourself among other ways of life other ways of doing things exposing your kids and exposing your vulnerabilities to let other people you know just see you and you be able to say, I see you too. I think there is a, um, kind of like when you break bread with people, there is something to be said about that in the act of travel, walking by people you would never normally walk by because you happen to be on this one dot in the planet. It's just, it's kind of mind boggling to me to think about how God, you know, we're all these little not not ants but you know I I picture it like that like on an anthill and we're all just running around and God knows exactly our whereabouts and who we're gonna run by in this one market on this one corner and I don't know that that to me is just awe-inspiring and so um, I definitely see travel as an act of worship
1: I do too I mean you're helping me see it even more so I as a uh, 13 year old our family moved from Southern California to Waterloo Belgium and so for about five years um, you know, I went to an international school, we traveled a bunch, we went all, all over the place. And I remember, um, I remember just in terms of getting different perspectives, I, I was in, I was in basketball practice one January day in 1986. So that I was in 10th grade. That dates me a little bit, but, um, this, um, this senior came running in the gym and he was not an American and it was the day the challenger, uh, space shuttle mm-hmm. exploded. Remember that day? Yeah. I remember. And he but, you know, instead of like, you know, oh, my gosh, that he was cheering, actually. I mean, he was uh, because that was I mean, that was back in the times where he was he was British, actually. And the, the relationship between Brits and Americans actually weren't very good, at least in, in terms of young people. And I had this, this sense of like, oh my goodness, you know, like it was very disorienting because I think growing up in America, we just are, we we just believe we're the center of the universe at, at all times. Um, and I think, you know, there's even a sense of getting out of our homeland, wherever that is, that makes us see the face of God in, in, in so many different ways, even through those disruptive, um, kinds of experiences, Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, have you like? Uh, and as I read your book, uh, I loved. I just mm-hmm. loved the adventure of it. Um. Mm-hmm. Was there any? Is, are Are there any stories that you want to share that maybe um you know opened your eyes or opened your kids' eyes up to like, wow, this is this is different and beautiful.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, what's funny about some of the big stories we had, and this goes back to that thing about being small and ordinary, is what was interesting is Kyle and I, my husband, we noticed that, I don't know, it was probably somewhere in Africa, I want to say Kenya, and we were driving and just seeing amazing thing after amazing thing. And we'd point out, kids, did you see that? Look at that. And they would start saying like, yeah, and then just kind of go on to whatever they were doing. We started noticing that, okay, maybe we're overdoing it on the amazing things and so yes. Kyle Kyle and I started saying when everything's awesome nothing's awesome because there were so many huge things that it started watering down each one and the kids would get excited about the funniest to us things like we got to Sydney after doing uh queensland which is the northern state of australia the northeastern state and that's where things like the biggest rainforest or the oldest rainforest in the world the great barrier reef just like amazing natural um things to see there and we did all of that and it was so great so we finally get to sydney where we're house sitting for friends who are out of town and it's in the suburbs they got so excited about showing up at a house where there was like a kitchen, and they each had a room, and there was a trampoline in the backyard, and they got to take care of chickens, and they were so excited about that they got to take care of chickens for the next month, and Kyle and I looked at each other like, we just took you snorkeling in the Great (laughs) Barrier Reef, and this is what gets you excited, and at first we were like mildly annoyed, then we found it funny, and then we got back you know, we stepped back and thought like, wow, that is a life lesson that, you know, so much of life needs to be ordinary so that that like extraordinary stuff become stays as it should be. You know, right. it 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 is awe inspiring. It is phenomenal and, and something that we remember. And so we just would start laughing at, you know, we'd go on a safari in Kenya and the kids would be you know, excited to see zebras and hippos and stuff, but then they would be just as excited about some cute dog on the side of the road. And, and it's like, hmm, okay. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that pretty much throughout the whole trip.
1: Well, I love that you noticed that even, even during the trip, you know, right. I mean, cause that, that could have been something that as you got back home and sort of zoomed way out, like you know you could have said oh dang you know like we missed it well Um,
0: i remember in new zealand we were in the south island um which is where the southern alps are and it is just stunning in new zealand you turn every corner in the road and it's just picture worthy and i just you know we had a car rental for the week and so it was a lot of just driving off you know small roads and i would just say kids look at this oh my goodness look at those flowers and i made kyle pull over a lot to take pictures and i just remember feeling so perturbed Because I would say, look at that. And one of my kids said, Mom, can I be on the iPad right now? And I said, like, no, you can't be on the iPad. You will not be on the iPad. And he was, you know, whining about that. And I just was so annoyed at that. And I realized, wow, why am I so annoyed at that? And that's why, you know.
1: Yeah, because there was all this pressure to appreciate the beauty pressure to appreciate
0: right Right. and I had the right perspective or not the right I had the adult perspective (laughs) of what this meant you know in light of things and for him it was like yeah this is great but we also just saw 20 other great things so yeah
1: well that seems to sort of um weave into I mean a lot of what you do is think and write about the art of simplicity and it seems like that—that that thought of if everything's awesome, nothing's awesome, or if you have to have, if you have to pressure yourself to appreciate the beauty in something—that's—that's a—it's that seems like a cluttered way of thinking, right? Um, that you can't you can't orchestrate this majestic moment, even if there you are in the Grand Canyon or the Great Barrier Reef, right? I mean, sometimes you do want to play iPad, and that's that. I mean, I guess my question is. Is that a form of simplicity? Like it was your child, sort of saying, "Man, enough is enough." Like I am, I am, I am sensory overload here. I need to, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, not too long ago, I reread um, the book *The Gift from the Sea* uh, or *Just Gift from the oh, Sea* yeah. by Ann marie Lindberg, and she t- has this little paragraph. It's not a big part of the book where she talks about walking along the beach and um, picking up a shell, but not picking up five shells she only picked the one that was the most beautiful and she said because of that it stands out as more beautiful as opposed to you know she went home and and put a bowl full of shells on the table there was one that stood out and to me it was a a good kind of application to this idea of when we have fewer but not even better necessarily but when we have fewer things we notice those things that are more meaningful to us just like in our homes you know yeah. or just like when you see a kid play you know choose a toy off the shelf when they have 3 choices versus 20 they are appreciative of those 3 things and i think that's just kind of how life goes and and why the ordinary matters so much we appreciate you know being home having you know, that your day's agenda is stirring soup instead of going to see some huge thing. And, and then when we do have those phenomenal experiences, they stand out like the, like the shell that she picked up off the beach, you know, it's more beautiful that way.
1: I love that. I love that. Um, I just, I mean, that, that just resonates. So, and I'm a three on the Enneagram. So like, I am, oh my gosh, I want to achieve and, and do, and right. And so the thought of like one shell,
0: yeah, but that's not impressive. <laughs>
1: right. Um,
0: right. But it
1: also feels so right. Uh, you know, like I can, I can feel both of those things rising up in me. Like that's not enough, but oh, that's so right. Um, and I think right. that's, I think that's the challenge of sort of, all right, let me, let me ask, uh, I have, I've sort of a list of sort of, uh, quick, maybe rapid fire questions you take as long as you want to, but it, but it relates to taking your family, um, you know, people might be reading your book and listening to this and starting to dream. So um, mm-hmm. how how is it financially feasible for you guys to do this?
0: We saved up over about four years, but we only needed to save up for the things that didn't translate in regular life mm. because we took our, our work with us. This was not a vacation. We didn't stop working. And so the only things that really translated were, were long haul Um transportation, like long flights and visas to certain countries. The rest of it, you know, we did sell our house before we left. And that's a big thing for people to realize. But we decided to do that because we realized we would sell anyway, even if we were staying home. Otherwise, we would have rented out the house, which a lot of people do. And so, you know, instead of having a rent or mortgage, we had guest house fees. Instead of paying for gas and tolls and auto maintenance, we paid for, you know, metros and public transportation. And so, Across the board, our budget was more or less the same. In some places, it was even cheaper, depending on where we were. And so that's all we needed to save up for because we continued to work the rest of the time. Yeah.
1: And what about the kids in school?
0: Well, we did world schooling for the year, which looks similar to homeschooling, except that it's all out of your backpack and you're taking more advantage of where you happen to be. So we concentrated on reading, writing, and math. Now, keep in mind, our oldest was only in fourth grade at the time. So there still wasn't too much, you right. know, that they had to Algebra you. 2, trig. Exactly, exactly. So we made sure, or we did the best we could to keep them up to speed on math, reading, and writing, And but even reading and writing, and even math honestly could um ebb and flow into what we were doing in our life so we we picked books for them to read they they each had a kindle Um, connected to our library. And so we'd pick books based on where we were. Their writing, you know, they kept a little daily journal of what we did that day. And that's how we would correct grammar and handwriting and things like that. And then math, we, we had a textbook and, you know, a digital textbook, but, you know, a lot of it was making change, buying things, conversions, you know, things like that. So it was a lot of translating into real life. And then just wherever we were is what we would study for like history or science or whatever. I mean, there's infinite ways to use you know earth as a textbook and that's what we did right
1: well that's that's fascinating i mean you so world school instead of homeschool. i've never even yeah. heard of that and i would say most people probably have never heard of that so like is there yeah. a is there a website or, or is there you know like how do you how did you research that how <laughs> did you find that
0: there's tons of stuff online. I mean, honestly, just Googling world schooling, all one word, and you'll find more than you would ever want to know. Wow. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that do this full time. You know, there's a number of families that are location independent, which we knew we couldn't do or we didn't want to do. Um, so this would be a temporary situation for us. But um, there are a lot of people that do this. And and it's um it's not as complicated as one would think because a lot of it is just instinctive learning you know intuitive learning and if you think about it for those of us that had more traditional educations you know the things that you remember the most were those field trips or those projects or those things and so that's what it was like it was like one giant field trip is how we thought of it and um just made the most of wherever we were at the time as what we studied and the internet makes it so easy honestly you know there's more things than we could ever need to learn because of the internet
1: Gosh, you're so right. Well, world schooling people, check it out. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm feeling kind of inspired. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I don't know how that would totally work. But
0: uh, right. um,
1: but sabbatical time, right? Okay. Uh, best and worst
0: food. <laughs> okay, um, best food is going to have to be Italy because, mm-hmm. of course, it is. Um, Gosh, there were so many things that we would just eat in Italy. I'm trying to think of, like, a particular meal that stood out. I mean, it's so cliche, right? Pasta and wine. Well, still, though, it's it's cliche because it's it's, it's
1: true. It's amazing. uh,
0: The Italians approach everything as art, I think. And that's one of the reasons we love Italy so much. But that includes the food. And so a simple lunch of, like, basic pasta there's a particular kind in Tuscany called a uh, peachy pasta and um, with a basic tomato sauce and a glass of red wine I mean that is like you know a form of heaven on earth I think yes. and it's it's amazing what they can do with yes. basic flour and water you know um, worst food honestly we didn't have like you know everyone wants to hear about some live scorpions we ate or whatever <laughs> and so there was nothing tremendously terrible other than there were some foods that we just genuinely didn't know what we were eating. Like, and that was mostly in Asia where, um, we didn't have a translated menu. And so we would just kind of point shrug our shoulders and hope for the best. And so I remember there being a meal where, um, it was a bowl of red something. And it was turned out to be okay, but it was so spicy that my eyes would water. And then all they gave me to drink was hot tea. And <laughs> oh, and I was feeling kind of queasy earlier and had a headache. So I used some peppermint essential oil, and it was on my fingertips, and I rubbed my eyes. So then my eyes started burning, <laughs> and yes. I was just like – I thought I was going to pass out from all the heat, you know. Um, I can look back at it and laugh, though, of course. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, anything like that would probably – Qualify?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh gosh, I can I can picture that. Um, you mentioned uh, Italy. Uh, my wife and I were on the Amalfi Coast, actually in um, Positano one time, and I was out for a walk, and there was this uh, there was this person on the just on the street selling Parmesan cheese and I'm like oh my gosh I have to so I just got like a like a a handful of it like I bought just a handful of it brought it back to my wife Mary and um that's still one of the things and that was like 12 13 years ago that's still one of the things we talk about it's one of our favorite like oh my gosh remember you brought the parmesan because even <laughs> something like that it's just I don't know how it's that good but it really yeah. is I mean it's it's like it is a bit of heaven on earth so
0: it really is um, yeah
1: yeah I think I think the food would be uh one of my favorite one of my favorite things about doing what you did so good
0: it's true um one of our favorite places was Thailand and Kyle. Oh at one point said, like, I'm already sad for my future self, who's not going to be eating this. And sure (laughs) enough, like a few weeks later, we weren't in Thailand anymore. And he was reminiscing about food he just had, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. um, I, some other questions, um, as we sort of head toward the end, but you quote Pat Conroy, uh, in your book, and he is just one of my, he was the late Pat Conner. He was one of my favorite mm-hmm. authors. Is, is he, um, and and he writes so, like his book, his, his book Beach Music, he writes a lot about yes. Italy. One of my favorite books. Is, is he one of the authors, um, one of the influential authors in your life in terms of traveling?
0: You know, he is. And one of the reasons is because in his fiction, uh, setting matters so much that it's almost like an another character. Yes. And I love books like that where the setting the the place that the plot happens is so important and I I love his writing because of that so yeah I love that you asked that because not everyone's noticed that and but yeah he was he is one of my favorite fiction writers
1: yeah oh me too me too Mm -hmm. I think beach music was the first well no probably great Santini Um, Mm -hmm. but beach music was the sort of the hinge point where I really fell in love with Pat Conroy and so uh, when we were in Rome you know we went and found the uh, the Piazza Forness, which is where he you know where he lived when he was in Rome and and um, so fun but That's of really course fun. South Carolina and he writes he writes I just love him so
0: yeah he's good
1: on the subject of writing um just 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 a random question who's your favorite freelance editor of of all time really you've done a lot of <laughs> writing <laughs> who is your favorite <laughs>
0: funny you should ask hmm. there's a guy named Seth Haynes who's oh. really good Seth honestly Haines. though he made the book so much better I mean not that it, you know he wouldn't probably say that but I would say that he, he had a keen eye for what needed to go and what needed to stay so yeah
1: I love Seth big I shout do. out to you Seth we love you we love you we love you thanks for making our lives so much better Amen. um Okay. Toward the end of the book, you really take a crack at how stability and travel can coexist. Uh, So talk about that for a little bit.
0: Yeah. When we came back from the trip, honestly, the reentry was tougher than um, all the traveling. And that's because... um, you know, reentry does it. It makes you face squarely um, how you have changed. Because when you're in another culture, you do, sometimes don't know: is this me? Is this just where I am? But here you are back in your home culture. Things should be the same, but they're not the same. And so you're kind of just in a realization of like, I am different. I can't quite figure out why. And so it took a while to to kind of acclimate to that and in the meantime we realized how much we just needed a place to park and us having lived the way we've lived overseas and kyle's from oregon i'm from texas we had never before lived in any place longer than three years that's just how our adult lives had worked up till then and um traveling, you know, like I mentioned, those location independent families, there are some families who can do that, but traveling to us made us realize how much we needed community. And that was the number one thing we missed the most was living among people who knew us and we knew them and we were doing ordinary life together, you know, and it's the idea of even staying someplace beyond when it gets hard, staying someplace when it gets boring. You know, when it's yeah. not exciting, when your days involve laundry and going to Costco and picking up kids and yeah. paying bills, you know, that that's where life, the, most of what our life is meant to be lived. You know, right now we're in ordinary time on the Christian calendar. And that to me is what that's about. It's about yeah. living in community, doing the ordinary. And we missed that so much. And so as part of our reentry, I did a lot of reading and um, Thomas Merton um, wrote and I read for the first time. I don't know why I'd missed it before about um the vow of stability that benedictine monks take and that's the fourth vow that they take that's different from all the other um monastery or monk traditions and he um and what that is is this vow to stay put um whenever things get boring or hard or you know whatever reason um and he makes the point that it almost doesn't really matter much where you live because um there's a hint of the ordinariness everywhere all over the world and that to me solidified the deal that like you know yeah we need the stability and we need this rootedness of ordinary life um, just as much as we need to go out and see the world as a form of worship. Um, and that both it, it's like two sides of the same coin, really, um, this desire to stay home and this desire to go see the world. In some ways, it's they're both a search for um some the the search for perfection or the search for heaven on earth and neither can be found here and so it's it's kind of easing into that tension of being okay with life being somewhat boring and nowhere on earth being perfect you know so they they play well together i think
1: i totally agree you know i think it's you know part of it is is rejecting the sort of dualistic thinking that I'm a, I'm an adventurer person and all I'm, I'm only at home with, with myself when I'm out and about and gone or vice versa, you know, I'm only at home with myself when I'm really, I'm a homebody. I'm, um, but saying it's probably for all of us to really get, get more expansive. We, we, we need to play with both, right? I mean, just, that just seems to be true in most, in most cases. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: What's it like writing about places that probably many of your readers will never see? How do you think about that?
0: Well, you know, speaking of Seth, one of the things he pointed out is um, in editing my first round was, um, you know, when I travel, this is him talking, when I travel, one of the things that stand out to me are smells. And you haven't mentioned much about the smells. Can you add more here and here? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and I realized he's right. I, you know, smells are. I think it, it's been said that olfactory sense like takes us like has a strong connection to memory. And he's right, because I'll smell something and I'll take me back to, you know, 1993 or whatever. And um, and so I went back and incorporated more of that and all just tried to make sure I touched on as many senses as I could in describing a place. So instead of just talking about what it looked like, there's trees like this and, you know, yeah. um, actually talk about, um the touch of the dirt the smell of the water uh, the taste of the tea or whatever tried to do that as well as i could and use a lot of metaphors which sounds a little cliche but instead of just using a whole bunch of hyperbolic adjectives actually try and bring it home yeah. you know that this this water tastes like summer that kind of thing and and so try to um, bring it to what we all kind of collectively know we know what it's like and um and yeah, so I, I felt like that was one way he pushed me, but also a way that I, I wanted to do a place justice because I also knew that, okay, just because I was in Croatia for a week doesn't make me an expert on it. You know, right, so right. I'm, I need to just relay my own senses and what I personally experienced. And that was the best way for me to do that.
1: So good. Well, it's interesting you brought up Seth because that was his question. I, I actually texted him and said, "Hey, I have Tish on the on the podcast tomorrow. What would you ask her?" And so that was his question.
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious that he would even ask that. It's like he knew. <laughs>
1: he knew. Right. But I think just from a from a writing standpoint, I think it's so important. Um, you know, as good of a writer as we think we are, great editing helps us see things that we don't see naturally. And so um, I just think that's a that's a beautiful truth. Um, Okay, Tish, where can we find you like people that are interested in either simplicity or reading more about uh, how you think about travel? Where can we find you?
0: Well, the home base for everything is the art and you can find links to everything there. So that's probably the easiest, uh, most memorable way to tell people. Um, there's links to my book on travel. I write about travel and I also have a podcast called the simple show and that's all linked right there on the art All
1: right. So I'll put that on the show notes, everybody, the art or you can just go there right now in the podcast. What what's, what's the podcast called again, Tish?
0: It is called the Simple Show, and we talk about right now. We talk about books, travel, and life at home um, under the guise of simplicity, and what all that looks like. So it's a a wide variety of topics.
1: Beautiful, awesome. Well, everybody, check that out: theartofsimple.net and the Simple Show, and of course, uh, get Tish's beautiful book, At Home in the World: Reflections on Belonging While While Wandering the Globe. It really is. uh, It's it's inspiring. It's savory. It's um, and it, it 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 helps you locate some hope. I think that's mm. that's that's sort of what I was feeling as I was reading it. Um, and I'm not even sure why, Tish, but maybe <laughs> um, you know the world right now feels like it's contracting. You know, like literally, mm. it's having contractions, and so everyone's bearing down. I'm using that language mm. uh, intentionally. Like something is going to mm. be born here, but no one knows what it is, and so we're in this, we're in this place of I think some where fear is greater, and everyone's breathing heavy and hard, and and um, so to read something expansive like your book, where mm. um, adventure and learning to immerse ourselves in the other, whether it be people or other cultures. To me, is one of the things um, that our world needs right now, and so thank you, thank you for mm-hmm. bringing your creativity, your art, your love for joy and beauty, and thank you especially for pushing past that barf in your mouth Christian <laughs> <laughs> impulse yeah. to make sure you have a noble reason for every single thing that you do. Oh, I'm just not going to ever forget that. Oh,
0: it's like, I want to start that.
1: a, I want to start a website now, the anti-nobility, the anti-nobility <laughs> of real life or something like that. So Right,
0: right. For sure. Um, oh, Tish, I
1: love it. last question. Was there anything you hoped I would, that you hoped I would ask you that I didn't?
0: <laughs> oh man, that is a fun question. Um, let's see. Gosh, I don't know if there's something I hoped. One thing I like to ask other people is like, what did you just read or what are you reading right now? Because that tends to be like what's always on my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, So I don't what know. are you I'm reading being, right now, Tish? Yeah, I was going to say, that's something you could ask. Well, I just finished last night. I finished the book called uh, Hatching Twitter and it's a story of how Twitter started. Wow. And it's like on a completely different note from anything we we were just talking about. It's like basically the true story behind, you know, what, what turns out to be young white guys with big egos that yes. are brilliant and how they start something that kind of changes the world. And so that's on my mind right now, just in light of like technology and how we communicate with each other. And honestly, the world is just so interesting that people can come up with these things and they really do change how we yeah you know communicate so um i i don't know if i'd recommend it there's a lot of language in it um but i mean that's just it's real life in yeah. the valley the silicon valley but um anyway that's on my mind so that's a good that yeah that makes sense. twitter question.
1: okay yeah i'm gonna put that on the show notes too because i know that's gonna that some people yeah. will just go like, yes yes um right. well thank you so much tish thank you for carving out some time to talk Uh, I really, I, I love your book and, um, I hope lots and lots of people, uh, get a hold of the beautiful things that you're doing in the world because they're really a gift and you're a gift. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun.
1: Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Wien's author. Twitter at Steve Weens and Instagram at Steve Weens, And you can find all my work, all my books, show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash this good word. The truth was you knew you were losing that fight in your suburban.